0: Ronaldo! Oh my goodness! You don't save those
1: out of this world. Messi, Messi, Messi! Three nothing. Landon Donovan. her things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey's denied again, And Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe Script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Another crazy week for the United States and the world of association football. Hi, everybody. Welcome to FuVFC, the only soccer podcast via WFUV Sports. It's been a long week, so take a deep breath and out, and we have things taken care of. Hi, everybody. I'm Dilla Balsamo. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined by my friend Keenan Troy. Our friend Danny Perry is going to join us in a little bit. But first, how are you, Keenan?
2: I'm good, Don, As you said crazy week I think one of our predictions well Danny and I both last week predicted predicted the U.S. Would, men's team would lose and they squeaked out a win in a thrilling gold cup final and then yeah the women's team laying an egg maybe as you could see it who knows we'll move forward with both of those and then as we approach league play huge news out of La Liga yesterday which would have been Thursday the 5th as Messi's contract is not happening and We don't even know where he's going to be playing next. So always exciting, always timeless,
1: looking forward to it. Very exciting, of course, about Messi. Very stressful. I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. So we will get to that uh, when the time is necessary. But let's start with uh, the U.S. men's national team playing in the Gold Cup final. We talked about it last week on the show. They're going to play Mexico on a Sunday night showdown for all of North America to watch. And, you know, Keenan you and Danny had very differing predictions from myself of how we thought things were going to go. And I guess we're glad you were wrong. Question mark. Yeah. So I think there are two takeaways from that match. So obviously
2: the first the United States win, and it was against a Mexican side that, as I said last week on paper, looked a lot better and I thought would play a lot better than the United States. Um, and so that entire match, I always kind of anticipated that, you know, United States is just going to try and bend that break and score a late winner. If they were to win, I had predicted that Mexico would score first, I believe United States or go up to United States, cut it to one and then three, one final, I think was my prediction as the game started to open up, but credit to the United States. Um, I think at times they looked very deadly. Um, I think, for playing a strong Mexican side, they did a real good job in the defensive half of the midfield, really not allowing dangerous crosses to come in too much. And then, you know, I think towards the end of the game and then into extra time, I think Burl Halter, as there's a clip of him in the locker room after saying from the 80th minute on, that was our time. And I think so that might have been his point of emphasis to the boys before the match was, hey, we're just going to have to weather the storm. And then when... Things look like there's an opportunity for us to go forward. Um, let's steal one late or, you know, steal one on them and then just continue playing strong defense. But I think the biggest takeaway for me is, first, Kellen Acosta, I owe you an apology. I said I don't think anybody on this team is willing, you know, ready to see a World Cup side. Kellen Acosta, after that master class in the midfield, that beautiful ball in that, you know, yielded the game-winning goal in the 118th minute. Kellen Acosta, I forgive you. You may see some valuable time for this program going forward, but secondly, I think another thing we're proven is. Again, I don't want to sound like a downer because how can you, you know, if you're a soccer fan, you see a gold cup win, even though it's a gold cup, you're like, okay, job done, we showed up, we the team that we fielded, they won their game, and you know, they're the champions of CONCACAF. But I think again in this game too, we saw Paul who go under two really big chances in the final third. And then we see that, you know, complete cluster off the corner where Jossie Zardas completely fumbles a chance from about four yards out, channeling his best Timo Werner. And then I think it was maybe, I think it was Areola who gets on the loose ball inside the 18 and, you know, the Mexican goalkeeper makes a scrambling save. But I think with that, you see that, okay, these players were good for the task at hand. And I, maybe they get some reps going forward. I don't think they should. But you see there are some times throughout the game that maybe if you have a better caliber of player on the field, that Mexican side isn't you know keeping us scoreless for so late. We create better chances throughout the second half. We don't need stoppage time and extra time and a threat of penalties to kind of get forward and then score a really good goal off a set piece. So I think Greg Berlhalter, yes, his job is safe. I think that winning that Gold Cup kind of proves that at least from the United States Soccer Federation point of view, that this might this is our guy, at least for the next year. I think it'd be really, really hard to explain why a guy that wins a Gold Cup, wins a half Nations League, why he's getting sacked before the World Cup. So now I think, you know, great for Greg Halter, but now the United States future is really going to be dictated in these next 12 months coming up leading up to
1: Qatar. Well, Keenan, it's interesting you mentioned how things late in the game were where the U.S. made their difference, and that's truly the case. Just so everyone's caught up, game went into extra time, scoreless, and in the 117th minute, I believe it was, Miles Robinson puts in the game winner for the U.S., and they emerged the champions of the CONCACAF Gold Cup for the first time in a little while. But, you know, it's interesting that you talk about how we expected Mexico to be the better team in this match, and I would argue for most of it, they really were the better team. You know, you look at, you know, possession of the ball and, and shots on the, on shots on net and shots overall, uh, there's a clear advantage towards the Mexicans, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the U S made their difference when they needed to. And I would argue, and perhaps you'll agree with me, this is the result of when you finally have some stability in your program at, at the highest level, as you really haven't since I would argue really 2014, um, it makes a difference.
2: Right. And I think, you know, granted we're on the outside looking in um we don't have the resources i don't even know how transparent holter has been with you know especially in a gold cup you know you don't see the pre-match press conference still after the match you don't see the tactical breakdowns during training sessions that you know maybe you'll get one in world cup qualifying but when you're going into a gold cup final i know a big thing we talked about was consistency in the starting 11 and you know that hasn't really been what i think a lot of people had hoped for and not to sound fickle as a fan, you know, cheer for them when they win, but boo for them when it's close or, you know, hope for them to lose as I have done. But I think as you're saying consistently, it seems to be kind of the United States soccer style of late, which is bend don't break and then steal one and not, you know, not be the pressing team in the first couple minutes or the first half, or even, you know, the in no, normal time, don't be that team that goes out there and, you know, becomes susceptible on the counter or becomes, you know, lackluster in the midfield by committing too many men forward i think that might be the united states style of play at least that's what it looked like throughout the gold cup in those close matches um you know against qatar against mexico um against jamaica i think that maybe that's the way greg berhalter wants his side to play at least with this 11 it seemed to be that way of we're not going to break we're just going to play or we're going to be defensively sound sure, we'll need Matt Turner to make some big saves, but that's, you know, why he's on the sheet is because he's trusted to make saves in tough situations. And then when the game opens up for us, when Burhalter thinks he can be, you know, creative off the bench, and when he thinks he he's in a good spot to get men forward and create more chances later in the game, that's what he wants the United States to play. I'm nervous if that's how he's going to do it with, you know, the A side in quotes, or, you know, whoever that best 11 may be just because when you play better footballing nations you don't really have the luxuries you do against Mexico of you know maybe not the most creative players in the midfield not the most you know dynamic of strikers but also I think moving into the World Cup and you know reflecting on the summer of soccer altogether how many shockers in Europe do we see Dylan where you know say the Czech, uh, Czech Republic versus Denmark stands out. I mean, not Denmark against the Netherlands stands out to me, Um, you know, Denmark versus England stands out to me of if you play this style of soccer, if you have every man on the field committed to we're going to defend as a unit and we're going to try and create, you know, chances going forward. But for the most part, we're going to be strong defensively. We can compete with the top nations. So I think, you know, maybe it's a little risky to play. And I think if it's something Burlhalter wants to do. I think he really needs to find a solid defensive core um, and a def- really strong defensive ma- midfielder. Maybe Tyler Adams stands out in my mind right now. But I think that, you know, at least for the Gold Cup, this defensive minded soccer has kind of been the emphasis. And I think it gels really well with, you know, the talent the United States was fielding then and maybe the talent they're fielding moving forward, not to take any credit away from, you know, a really potent offensive lineup. But the old age of defense wins championship. I think we see that with Italy winning. We've seen that with like the German machine winning back in 2014. Um, and then in 2018 at the world cup too, I mean, France, yeah, they were dangerous going forward, incredibly dangerous, but their defense was extremely solid as well. So I hope that over the moving into world cup qualifying in the upcoming months, the United States find keeps that identity of, whatever they're going to play, they're going to play consistently with whoever's on the field. And I think that will yield really good results for them.
1: Absolutely. And you could argue it's already kind of reaped its benefits in seeing this is the kind of result you can have when you, when you work as a unit like that. And, you know, they definitely have improved defensively, I would argue over the course of this tournament. And they did all of this really without some of their top guns who have already started training for, you know, preseason of the domestic leads out in Europe. And, you know, it's very obvious, those guys who are missing are also very top-heavy. They're mostly offensive powers. Uh, Christian Pulisic, chief among them, of course. But, you know, when they come back, they will still have that steady defensive set behind them, and that's just going to make a real, well-rounded team. But my worry, as I vocalized to you and Danny last week, was if the United States was going to win the Gold Cup, uh, as they did last week, as I, and as I thought they might, Um, That might put them in the almost wrong mindset for World Cup qualifying, because I feel like the U.S. at this point in their history kind of needs to have a chip on their shoulder if they want to have the grit and the energy to get through into Qatar for 2022.
2: Right. And I think, you know, not qualifying for 2018, seemingly there would be that chip on their shoulder. But a lot of that, you know, core that was part of the 2018 qualifying team is no longer with you know doesn't see the field you know you don't have Michael Bradley you don't have Josie Eltador Tim Howard is a ghost of the past Omar Gonzalez was like their star center back back then which is so funny to think about you know the turnover that this national team has had and but I think I think going into this World Cup qualifying I think it's a good thing that a lot of these guys weren't part of that 2018 qualifying hopefuls solely because I mean yes it'd be you might think like oh these guys that missed out or can play with on their chip on their shoulders. But all these young guys, I think, realize, A, the potential this national team has to do something special if they qualify for Qatar. But B, I think they're really taking it among themselves to, you know, find a soccer identity in the country for the national team. And I think that's why this gold cup is win is so impressive, though I was skeptical, you know, these aren't the best 11, the guys that they fielded went out and did their jobs and delivered. And you can see the passion and the emotion that, like, winning the Gold Cup, sure, to some people, it might not have been a big deal. But, oh, my God, players taking off their shirts, running over to the fans, screaming with them. It really is, you know, these players really are trying to make, at least it seems to us, and it seems through, like, their post-match interviews, that they're trying to make the national team back to what it was maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, You know, back to 2014, I think we both kind of agree was like the last time the United States was relatively prominent as a, you know, world soccer team. So I think that going into World Cup qualifying, I think it's I think they have to remind themselves to stay hungry. Granted, CONCACAF, you know, you play a lot of the teams in the Gold Cup that you're going to see in World Cup qualifying. You might pick up some, you know, less talented countries as well. But, I mean, I don't think any of them are going to remember – I mean, forget what happened in Trinidad, and I think they're going to re- even think of it as, like, okay, that was their legacy. Our legacy is going to be the team that rose up. And I hope they keep that – I really do hope they keep that same energy, to borrow a common phrase nowadays, keep that same energy if they qualify and go into Qatar. It's like the old group's legacy was not qualifying. Our legacy is going to be qualifying and then going to Qatar and playing dominant soccer. So, yeah, I think – you know, maybe the loss would have helped them like, okay, we really need to step it up. But I think Berhalter for his sake and his stability in his job, I think the gold cup win is exactly what he needed so that he's not coaching for his job anymore. And I don't think he ever felt that pressure, but you know, you lose that gold cup final and you maybe drop a couple of results in world cup qualifying. You might think, okay, I'm kind of on the hot seat here, but I think now he's might be comfortable enough to say, okay, I've beaten Mexico twice playing my style of soccer. I'm willing to – I'm ready to take this a step further, get everyone invested, and then go out and win.
1: The U.S. will hope to maintain that energy as World Cup qualifying is only two months away at this point. But, you know, in between then and now is when the domestic season starts, Keenan. I know we only have a few minutes left here, and I want to get your reaction here because, you know, such a staple of the domestic season has always been, of course, Lionel Messi with Barcelona. He's been with that organization since he was a teenager – And now we learned yesterday, we record this on Friday, we learned on Thursday that he is officially not re-signing with Barcelona. Now, to me, that possibly means he might end up staying there anyway, but it won't be under his current contract to me is what that I really take that as. But, you know, it's a, it was an odd day in the world of association football. So Keenan, what were your initial thoughts?
2: Well, I think with, you know, earlier in the summer, we see that Messi's re-signing through, I think it was, it was a four year, Insane contract. And so I think, you know, for a lot of Barcelona supporters and, you know, the world of soccer for that, because Bar- Messi has always been synonymous with Barcelona. And you kind of looked at him as like, okay, a lot of that core that he grew up playing with, the Chavi, the Iniesta, it was literally the Puyol. Even, you know, you could throw Suarez and Neymar for those few <laughs> dangerous reasons they had together. You kind of looked at that group and you thought, okay, Messi's all that's left with the exception of you know Busquets, PK and I guess you could maybe throw Ter Stegen in there cuz he came in in the later seasons of Messi's Barcelona run. I thought you kind of from at least a fan's perspective and then like you know a person that maybe is trying to comprehend Barcelona as it's taken a new direction recently, you look to Messi as like okay, he's going to be the he's going to be the cornerstone of whatever Barcelona becomes. He's going to be the guy that welcomes in new talent recruits new talent and then you know he'll have a you know emotional send-off when his time is running he'll retire and I'm a, at least in all sports you know I'm a big believer in guys that have been so successful with clubs in whatever capacity or you know field of play they play in they should retire with them and I think you know his contract falls through because of money um, I, I was trying to read up on it um, this morning as I kind of was getting the news it's something with like the La Liga, not salary cap because it doesn't exist, but like financial allocation, they couldn't accommodate Messi's large contract. So he could theoretically resign. It'd have to be under a smaller contract. Um, I hope it, he does. I mean, for no other reason besides, I think that he is Barcelona in a nutshell, at least Barcelona for the past, you know, decade, decade and a half, two decades. You could even make that argument back to like 2004 when he first signed with them. So I think it's heartbreaking. If you're a Barcelona supporter, I think it's really optimistic though. If you're real, if you're a world football supporter though, because we've seen what he's been able to do with Barcelona and the brilliance across the years from playing with Ronaldinho to the Xavi era, to the, you know, MSN up front and now kind of him almost playing wherever the heck he wants to play and you know he can play as a center tech will still play out wide he can play as the nine i think it's going to be interesting if and where he signs up where if and where he ends up because he could still come back to barcelona what is familiar but i'm curious if he ends up somewhere else what is going to happen with messi is he going to still be as dominant you'd like to think so just because of his pure class but also if he leaves barcelona I wonder if he's still going to be the center of attention, if that makes sense, because it seemed that like when Pep was in charge, when Valverde was in charge, when Coleman was in charge, it was okay. Messi's in our lineup. We're going to build the team around Messi. But if he goes to a side, like say PSG, that's already so loaded on talent going forward, or, you know, goes to a man city where their bench is so deep or wherever he ends up, will he get that same kind of attention? I mean, you'd like to think so just because he is a great, but, with the way some of these european top uh programs are lined up it's tough for me to find a side realistically that will give him the chance to win championships like he wants to do where he will be not on uh not backlined or you know with five players behind him. because imagine if you're like mbappe or you know you're aguero that just signs for psg and then, okay, Messi's coming. Okay, my minutes are immediately cut down. My next paycheck's not going to be as big because Messi's contract is going to be monumental.
1: Well, you you know it's interesting because when you look at it from that perspective, you think maybe if he's not the center of attention, that might actually help him at this point in, in his career and at this at this age in his career, where he doesn't have to be the center of attention. That pressure is not there. He can really just play his game and be a part of a of a of an equation, if you will. But, but that's the big question here, and, and Keenan, I, I know you got to go, but very quickly, um, if, if Messi does not sign with Barcelona, where do you think he ends up? I know we're here in PSG. Is he going to ride it out with an MLS team into the sunset? What do you think happens?
2: I think probably Atletico, honestly. Yeah. I think he stays. I, I don't think he'll sell out and go over to Real, I think he has too much class for that but I think Spanish football really suits him and I think it's the only thing he's known how to play not saying he could play a different style but I think Suarez is still at at Atletico they need help out wide financially they're more than well off and again I think what I was saying before I think he still wants to be the star and he should be a star somewhere so I think he'll end up at Atleti and then I mean, his homecoming to Barca, that's the only thing I hope for, is if he ends up somewhere else, I want him to be able to return to the new camp and, you know, get that fury of emotions that so many Barca legends have had before him.
1: Always great hanging out with my friend and Troy and talking association football with him. But now we're going to shift gears here, because entering the Zoom room is our friend Danny Perry. How's it going, Danny?
0: Hello, hello. It is going.
1: Well, you know what? That's a pretty good answer because, so let's talk about the U.S. <laughs> women's National Team and the adventures they've had in Tokyo. Cause this past week has, I'd imagine frustrated you quite a bit, Dan.
0: They got what they deserved and maybe even more. I'm surprised that they walked away with bronze. I'm not happy. I don't think any fan of the United States team, women's team should be happy. Our expectations for them are much higher. They had an identity that was not something that anyone would have recognized if they watched this tournament. And I think that they're in serious trouble. And and what the problem is that they face this whole tournament, I don't know. In some way, I want to say that even a mediocre U.S. women's team was able to battle and win bronze, but disappointing.
1: Well, disappointing to say the least. The world was shocked and, in Danny's case, uh, visibly angered by... Uh, a semifinal loss to Canada, 1-0 the final in the semifinals of the Olympic Women's Tournament.
0: Wanna call that a penalty? Come on, come
1: on. No, no, it's it, it's fair, it, it's fair. And the US of course ended up taking the bronze medal just yesterday as we speak. Uh, but Danny, I wanna ask you about that semifinal game. Try and sum up for me and for all of our listeners, what exactly went wrong?
0: It was a boring game, I'll tell you that what went wrong again i'll I'll say it over and over there's no urgency there was no heart there was no you know it was just one of those games that i understand for people who don't enjoy watching soccer why you don't enjoy it those are the games that there's no clear winner there's nothing happening within the game both sides looked lethargic and it seemed like they didn't have some sort of push that hey i'm in the olympics and this is a semifinal game it was it was something that we saw this whole tournament with the united states team maybe starting with just the lineup itself again it it didn't seem like anybody clicked together there wasn't too many chances and and at the end of the day it was dictated by a referee's discretion, which they didn't even call on the field. But VAR apparently said, hey, check this out. It looks like a penalty. And then you have a penalty kick for Canada and boom, Canada wins. That's the beautiful game of soccer destroyed in a very bad call. And I'm not saying the United States necessarily deserve to go on, but to to ruin a game over a call like that, that's that was my most disappointing to 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 see the beauty of a game just taken away i hate that when i see var do that
1: it's it's nothing short of a brutal call and it and it shows really for all sports how you know this video technology we use for review just because it's always right does not mean it's always supposed to be used in a certain way and that's something we're learning in all sports but in soccer in a very particular way and 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 that's that on that but you know when it really comes down to it this was not a game that should have come down to a bad call for the United States and I think we all know that.
0: Yes, I think I think that like VAR needs to be ratified within the soccer community because it's it's not something that should just come from an overhead source when something isn't called on the on, on the field. So for instance in in the NFL you know, we're not seeing a replay unless I think it's a scoring, you know, unless there's a touchdown or something like that, or the coach wants to challenge it. That needs to be kind of similar, I think, because we can't have this this flow of the soccer game going where a team doesn't even complain that it should be a foul. And then all of a sudden, hold on, let me review this. Again, not even coming from the on-field official. So there needs to be a change in VAR. But, but again, at the same time, you know, did the U.S. deserve to win? I, I don't think so. I don't, I would not say that.
1: The U.S. certainly came into this tournament, Danny, as, as the as the better team offensively than I would say any other team in this tournament. And really all they did in that respect was underperform. They were able to pull out some wins, but none of them were really, you know, uh, shiny offensively, nothing too impressive in terms of goal scoring, really. It was a, There was a 3-1 win somewhere in there, but that was really all there was to it in so, a tournament where they were really supposed to be favored in terms of goal differential by quite a bit. So like, so what exactly happened here?
0: Well, I can't just speak at the Canada game if we're gonna talk about their offense, but as I mentioned last episode, we're off, we were offside so many times. I mean, literally the same amount of goals that we had, we were offside. where we could have had almost 20 goals in the tournament up to that game, but we didn't because they lacked just discipline and something that i did like in the in the bronze medal match is that carly lloyd rapino they had speed they had urgency they had heart that was missing in every game leading up to that that bronze medal match so in the canada game you know you have players that seem like they don't want to run that that they don't need to score or you know lacking just discipline it's it's simple foundations of soccer it's an it's an identity the united states was missing I am also very, very curious to truly know how they feel about their head coach, Vlatko. I, I do, I do want to know if anybody wants to point the finger. Now, I don't want to be that person that's like, oh, we lose a tournament. You know, time to look at the head coach. I think it's only been around two years that he's he's been with the team. But for a team that has so many returning players. You know, one can argue the side, oh, it was too old of a a team. But what about the experience that so many championship teams usually have that helps them win championships? That experience is something that you can't take away. And the the experienced players looked like they didn't even know themselves. They didn't know their teammates. They didn't know how to hold the ball together. Something that I would love to speak about in a further podcast regarding the head coach and this team is federation con contracts. And I'm curious to know how much of a role that played in Vlaco's choices to take players, to play players. There's politics in every sport and there's politics in soccer, especially when it comes to these contracts. And I'm I want to explore that more. But I don't want to talk about it too much yet until I until I do my necessary research, but I think Vlatko's existence as head coach is one to also investigate if there is no reason for why the United States played so unlike themselves in this tournament.
1: Well, it's very academic and collegiate of you to wait and give an opinion on something until you've done the, the proper research and the Fordham University congratulates you and thanks you on on, <laughs> on such sacrifices, but what it really Thank comes you. down to here is, you know, you, you mentioned experience with with a team that is undoubtedly older than really the rest of this really the rest of this olympic field not just in this in this sport but really all kind of all over the place but what it comes down to is you mentioned experience and i think it's a different thing when it comes to the olympics because you know you look at you look at a a world cup whether it be the women's world cup or even the men's world cup and it is these are these organizations that are built for this very one specific thing but you know when it comes to you know beef organized soccer playing in the olympics it it kind of is a a different thing especially you know you look at how we treat the men's tournament it's they're really just u23 teams it's a it's kind of a whole different ball game no pun intended uh when it comes to the olympics so the reason i bring that up is because i wanted to bring up uh, these players because you know obviously they've been on such a dynastic run for really it's been a decade and a half now kind of the transition from one reign of things to the other but i think what might have been a factor here, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think what might have been a factor here is the enormous pressure that is on an older team that knows that their time might be running out.
0: Get out of here with that comment, Dylan. Don't even. Are you serious? These women, they have faced this type of pressure yeah they you know I think as an athlete you never know when your career is over and and I get what you're saying because age is playing a factor but you know what injuries happen too you know you 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 go out there every time in that pitch for 90 minutes and you know that your career can come to an end at any given point I think pressure is something an athlete needs to live live with I mean a certain amount of pressure I'm not talking about for instance, what Simone Biles was just going through, like that's a pressure you might need to step away from for a little bit, but pressure like, hey, I'm coming close to retirement. You gotta embrace that. You gotta, you have to, you have to make that a, you know, significant moment in your career that you're gonna go out there and do whatever it takes to win. And you know what? That's what I saw in Carly Lloyd in the final, you know, she could have had a hat trick. It was taken away by offsides, but I mean, I do smile and get the chills when I think of that. No, I don't think pressure had to do with it. I think they're, you know, choosing players like Morgan, who, in my truest of opinions, really just lacks, lacks everything the last i'd say three to four years and and really shouldn't be on the team we need to take young talent like the u.s men's team you know keenan can rip apart the head coach as much as he wants but at least he's willing to try something different and i get that that system and that team has been broken for a very long time but their competition is also very different you know we as the as the women's team we are on on top there with the with with soccer and to not bring in young talent, to not put them on that stage, that's where we're going wrong. It's, it's just, we, we need to merge the older players with newer players and allow them playing time. Switch the lineup. Switch the tactics, tactics if it's going wrong within a game. Stop standing still and watching it until it's too late
1: so we at least we at least we found a middle ground between the two of us here is i i was really just kind of bringing up this conversation with <laughs> me as a good a host is supposed to do i'm
0: missing so, keaton being here i need you to you know come on
1: we need, we need to, be, to be the balance here but, but really what, what it comes down to and what we agree on here is you know that you can have establishment and that's great especially when you have the experience and the Undoubtable amount of talent that this U.S. team has proven that they've had for the last decade and a half, as we've talked about. But when you think it's going to last in that format forever, you're going to run into problems, and that's what I really feel happened with this women's team, specifically mm-hmm. in this tournament. And I, I feel you agree on that. So my real question, and I guess the the real question here is, looking forward, moving forward here, w- what is next for this for this women's team? You know, you mentioned. know even questioning what goes on in the head coaching position but you know in terms of of not necessarily phasing out older players Mm -hmm. but in terms of figuring out how they might platoon their positions what happens here i have no idea
0: well it's kind of interesting because this olympics as we all kind of know has been pushed back a year which then gives instead of a two-year gap to the world cup i believe it's only a one-year gap so those players that we think are retiring, whether or not they're going to retire right before the World Cup, that's a big question in the air. And I think a lot depends on what their move is. You know, if Rapino and Lloyd, Sauerbronn, all of the older players, they retire, that then opens space without the coach needing to make, let's say, a hard decision, because we all know no matter how much I want to say, oh, this person needs to be off the team, you know, their time is up, it's not as easy as said is done. So. I mean, I really think going forward that the team needs to figure out what happened to them. I think that they were truly affected. This team in specific needs fans, and I hate to say that, but they did not like not having fans cheering them on. They didn't like not being able to score a goal and run to a corner flag and, and sing Born in the USA and into a flag or for Morgan to sip a fake cup of tea. I really am not giving them an excuse, but I am saying I wouldn't be surprised if somebody comes out and says, you know, they, they didn't play, that that energy was missing for them. Again, going forward, that integration needs to happen. We need to try new players, give them the chance. We need better competition in between, in between, you know, major tournaments like the Olympics or World Cups. There There isn't much major tournaments for, for the women's games, but there's enough good teams now. Bring Sweden here, go to Sweden play each other because i have a feeling sweden's going to be on top for for a while now
1: well you know that's certainly an upside that uh we've kind of learned from this tournament is there are certainly teams the u.s can play when they want to ramp things up because i think uh that's a big argument we've seen when they're not ready for even the world cup sometimes just because mm-hmm. you know we we think of we think of u.s women's soccer especially the way they've played for so long is like Alabama football like who are you supposed to prep against who who are you supposed to test your real strength against there's really no one um or at least that's what we thought but what we learned in this tournament is that there are plenty of teams to do so and they all came to play and they all beat the U.S. women
0: this tournament. Well, we have we have the she she believes cup and we usually have you know Great Britain and and France and I think I want to say maybe Germany. I forget the other team. We we do invite them for that tournament. But you know where the United States invite other nations, they will, I would think they would be happy. Again, maybe thinking of a world outside of a pandemic for anyone listening, but in, in a regular world, any team would be happy to be like traveling to the United States, versing good competition. They want to prepare. They want to be, every team kind of looks up to the United States as I want to be them. We want to be better than them. We saw teams in this tournament You know, achieve that. And I am happy to see Sweden, who has always been a challenge for the United States, more so at this team, looking at the United States and being this defensive power that the United States could never really get past. And now they're implementing their offensive side. So you're seeing a really balanced Sweden. And you even see Australia, for example, we went ahead, but look who came back. Why? Another thing we need to work on our defense. And then, you know, Alyssa Nair is out. We we have to. It's a, it's a whole a whole team evaluation that needs to happen, and it needs to happen pretty rapidly. Again, for a mediocre team to come away with bronze, they somehow still found a way. So as much as I'm not excited, you have to look at this as, at this like outsider view that even them playing their possibly worse soccer still won bronze but there's still a lot that they need to figure out
1: a lot needed to figure out. But as we've mentioned here, the, the, the competition has grown and that's only going to make this U S team stronger. Yes. Uh, So that is definitely an upside here. So, you know, Danny, I I, I'm curious of what you think for the next three, four years, you know, there's a, there's another world cup to be played. There'll be another Olympics happening. What is to be expected from these U S women's team? Are they going to continue to be the best, team in in women's association football what should we be expecting
0: if they have the heart of the champion that i believe that this team possesses they'll finally learn and it's and you don't learn from winning you learn by losing and i and i think that they're gonna learn from this experience they learned from the last olympics and then they went and they won the world cup so i expect them to do something very similar they you know they shocked the world by disappointing us in the olympics and they're gonna shock the world and they are gonna come back stronger for the World Cup. That would be my prediction. Maybe there is a slight bias there just because I I really do believe in this team and maybe I shouldn't anymore because of what just transpired, but there is a huge part of me that doesn't. But in in totality, I think we can expect history to repeat itself and they're gonna come back stronger because they're gonna learn from this.
1: It is a prediction and really a hope of some sort. And I love to end the show with hope. And that's yeah. why I did that here. But that has <laughs> been this episode of FUVFC. Really a story in two parts, but we were able to get it done this week. That's Danny Perry. Keenan Troy was the guy joining us earlier. My name is Dylan Balsamo. WFUV is the place that produces FUVFC as always. Please go follow Association Football as you tend to do every week. Anyway, come back and join us. We'll have plenty to talk about domestic seasons coming back up. Maybe Lionel Messi signed with a new team by the time we record this podcast next week. Who on earth knows? We will talk about it when we get there. We'll see you soon. Take care. See you next week.